We are on. Um, this is like 99.99. This is Guitar Wank 99 episode Y. Why do we continue to do this? Wow, we don't have much. We don't have much longer to go with the alphabet. We need to find a new alphabet. <laughs> Every time I post these, I have to run through the alphabet to make sure I've got the next letter. Oh. I, it's just—it's probably wrong. Uh, welcome. 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 With welcome. Ninety-nine. Why? Why do we continue to do this? Because we love you. Yes, because M O U S E. And basically, if we're here, we're not out spending money, nor are we out uh, getting in trouble elsewhere. That's exactly right. I'm but just... it sure would be nice if, if you guys uh, thank you for the donations that have been coming oh my in. God. And we all got the merch hundred dollar one the other day. You know, but uh, we could always use more. You know, just saying. Just saying. All this, you know, driving around to make this happen is. Uh, it is a labor of love, but uh, it's definitely fueled by your generosity I, and your support. I wish we would just make this a religion so we don't... Would that be a benefit? Uh, it depends on who you want to piss off. <laughs> I am sitting here with Mr. Bruce Foreman. I am your host, Troy McCubbin. We are Scottless... Scott Free. Scott Free, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. One more time. Got to admit, this was this was a pop-up guitar wank episode, uh, and we've called Scott all day long, and he's just not responding to my calls and texts. So you snooze, you lose. Well, you know he's um, yeah, he's busy. Well, yeah, he's got his daughter. It's Sunday. They're probably out at some Disneyland function or something, or right, or, or three or three movies, you know, something like that. Well, and he's he's doing been da- working doing on the dad album. stuff. He's working on the album. Yeah, yeah. he's um. So yeah, nice thing. here you know he's productive, and you and I are a bunch of losers. That's why we're here. <laughs> yeah, we're doing this shit. We should be working on our albums. What the hell? You know, albums. They, you know, you know, really? No, really. You can't make any money anymore. Well, I mean, I got a new album out. You know, I had the 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 video contest. There was a whole lot of them. One, <laughs> two, <laughs> one or two. You know, I mean, hey, you know, I like being in the moment, you know, this this making shit for later, you know, for posterity or something is like, I don't know. It's going to be, it's it sounds like happen. I'm in a dark mood, but I'm, I'm really not. I'm just uh, complaining. We have so much to talk about that we didn't get to talk about because schedule-wise and everything, but for, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with New York? Do you want to start with Dumble? Oh, well, let's start with New York. Make them wait for Dumble. All right. (laughs) Everybody waits for Dumble anyway. New York. How was New York? You went to New York. You did two gigs? I did go to New York. I did three gigs. Three gigs? And, and you know, to be honest with you and not blowing smoke up your ass, folks, but um, one of the most heartwarming things was that every gig I did, there were guitar wank people at. That's so cool. And, in fact... One guy, when he heard on Guitar Week that I was going to be in New York, flew all the way down from Montreal to check me out. Hold it, that's another country. I know. <laughs> and they let him in. Wow. And, uh, and he arranged to have a lesson. And I gave him a lesson, and I saw him at the gig, and we hung. And he, what a great young player he is. What's, he, what's his name? His name is Luke Herman. Luke. Luke. Herman. Herman. Luke, big shout out, man. Yeah, and then another... Guitar wanker called me up for a lesson, a guy named Matthew Avedon, mm-hmm. 
really good gypsy style and swing style player. Yeah. We hung out. And, uh, you know, it was really great. We had a lovely hangover in Brooklyn. So, um, and then the gigs were all fantastic. You know, I played with this great singer named Hilary Gardner. We did a duo. And some people probably even watched it because they live streamed it. They streamed it. A lot of people. And then then I did Dizzy's Club Coca-Cola in Lincoln Center with, um, Taz at Lincoln Center, with my trio, which was Rufus Reed and Matt Wilson, and that was streamed. Yeah, I think it's even still archived. I mean, if you so you can go check it out. You can go, and I think you have to. I think in order to see the archives, you have to sign up. You sign up for something. Right. I don't think it costs any money. I think right. you just got to sign up. Sign up. Uh, I think you can watch the live just by logging on. But um, how cool! Is it's that? up there, like because I talked to the guy who runs the place. Yeah, and. Uh, he was watching it when I talked to him. <laughs> you know, so the book, the guy who books me, you know, right. so he was checking me out, make sure, make sure I didn't fuck up. And of course, I did a bunch of comedy, so I hope he didn't see that. <laughs> and uh, was that was that the the place and the vibe to do the comedy, or were people like a little taken back? That well, you- I, you know, I think some of the people didn't understand English. I think so. That was a that was a problem for some of them. Really? Comedy. Yeah, there was a lot of foreign tourists there. Tourists, okay. And uh, but I mean, I'm not so sure that they understood English or not. All I know is that when we do like during the break and before we when we came on stage, I heard them speaking other languages. That's right. Um, it was great. I put them together with Richard McDonald at Fender to try and get them and get Fender sponsoring that place so that there's some. Good Fender amps in there no, for us to play. Me, tell, me, tell me, amplifier you walked in and had to plug into? No, it was a, G, a Roland Jazz Chorus One Twenty. <laughs> that's the that's the thing. I, what did you say the other day? No guitarist. Oh ever. yeah, no. I, I when I talked to the the guy who runs it, I said to him, I said, let's face it. Oh great, a JC One Twenty. Just what I hoped you'd have is a guitar is a sentence a guitar player has never said. <laughs> <laughs> no guitarist has ever said that. Not at all. <laughs> Keyboard player. No, I mean, no, really. You know, I mean, they're not bad. I mean, I, 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 it was fine. I'm no, right. you know me. I'm not a. Yeah. Even though the Dumble thing. And <laughs> yeah, no, it's kind of ironic, but but we'll I mean, you know, that. I mean, it's it's made me louder. Thank you. Yeah, that's what I needed. And uh, they got a beautiful chorus. I never turned that oh, on, but. Sure. Uh, <laughs> and it looks kind of nice. It looks like it's built in a an anvil case. You know what I mean? <laughs> it does. <laughs> looks sort of like you know after after the after the you know after the nuclear holocaust, it, it'll it'll still be there. <laughs> I want When did Roland stop making them? Like ah, uh, we need to stop making. Yeah, these. right. But actually, and they make some really cool amps now. They they do make some great amps. You know, and I mean, and I guess some guys like them. So I'm sure we'll hear complaints yeah, now right. from me. But so you're hooking them up with Fender. Now tell me, hold it. I don't know, like. I've heard of the Lincoln Center. What is the Lincoln Center? Okay, Jazz at Lincoln Center is this, you know, not a new, but not, it's it's Wynton Marsalis, you know, uh, they have a, they have a big band and they produce concerts and they have educational, uh, educational programs. Right. It's a nonprofit in New York City called Jazz at Lincoln Center. The backdrop was amazing. Well, well, that was the club, Dizzy's Club, Coca Cola, and that's in the Time Warner oh, building. Okay, okay. It's in the Time Warner building. You look out over Columbus Circle and mm-hmm. Central Park South. Um, 
the Plaza Hotel's there, and then you look across the park to the oh, east side. I was there recently. Okay, it's amazing. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's the most well-appointed, well-designed club you could imagine. It's yep. just kind of perfect in every way. The sound is great. Their, you know, obviously their their streaming thing is great. There's a lot of tables and stuff in the main part of the room, but they're not like right on top of each other. It's right, so it's real comfortable to be in there. And you can you can eat. Yeah, and you can eat and right. good food, and it's got a long bar. You can sit at the bar, and it's got like a along all the side walls that are kind of you know go around, and it's not a square boxy room. It's kind of got interesting angles. Do you pay to see you, or you just yeah. pay? You do. Okay. Oh yeah, it's quite. Expensive to get in there. Really? Okay. Yeah. It's okay. a high coverage charge. Yep. Yep. And uh, and yeah, and it was really great to see all those people there and to that's, play for them. And that's so cool. It did. I mean, it was like amazing. It was kind of. I'd been talking to that guy about going back there and playing for a long time. Yep. Glad I finally did it. According to him, he says, I'm welcome back. You know, we just got to figure out what the interval is going to be. You know, yep. whether it's a year or nine months or right. a year and a half, whatever. So that, that just New York in general, just the scene, it just does my heart so good to see so many people listening to jazz. Almost most of the clubs that I went to, and I hung out there for a week, so I was hanging out in, in the clubs and going around. Yeah, Most of the clubs I went to pretty much had a line out the door. That's so Always. cool. Um, particularly the ones in the village. Yeah. Um, even the like the bars that had music, kind of, you know, there were plenty of people there. It'd be, and it's really great because what it is is you got a town that's famous for jazz. I mean, you go to New York, what do you want to do? You want to see a Broadway play and you want to hear some jazz. I mean, so you've got this base of tourists and it's very central. You know, the town mm -hmm. is like easy to get around in. Yeah. You know, a cab ride is not very far. The subways, you know, it's just always a good way to get around. Easy access to transportation. And it's a great walking town. Yeah. Especially now, it's it's unbelievably safe and comfortable to walk pretty much anywhere at any time of the day yeah. or night. Yeah. And so you've got that nice pad of tourist people. And then you have the jazz lovers who live in New York. And then you have the, all the musicians and then on top of that, you've got this whole new crop of student musicians who are going to like the new school and NYU and all these other schools, these jazz schools around there. Right. And they're all hanging out. So you've got this multi-generational, really interesting group of people that are just that support the scene. And it's just really, when I talk about community, that's kind of, it's just happening there because of the sheer nature of the town and the way it's built. But it doesn't mean that it can't be recreated elsewhere. Right. I mean, yeah, when you go to Memphis, you think, you know, barbecue and blues. You know, when you go, I mean, when you go to L.A., you think about movies, listening and movie stars, you know, or something. <laughs> but, you know, that doesn't mean that there can't be some sort of community effort to bolster the live music scene in every town. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that means a concerted effort to centralize it in one district. Yeah. You know, so that, like, there's four or five clubs so that people can walk around. You know, like, oh, I'm going to go, like, Austin kind of does. Yeah, Austin, yeah. You know, and, mm -hmm. and Nashville supposedly is that yeah, way. Yeah, that There's a place, there's a bunch of places, right, you know, so people want to go hear music know to go to this one area and it's nightlife and, you know. Yeah, L.A. has... I, L.A. really doesn't have that. It doesn't have the scene. Like, when you think of Los Angeles, you think of the movies and the celebrities and all that. Music-wise... 
But you think of music in L.A. You think of music in L.A. But I mean, you don't and, think and of L.A. has no music. L.A. And I mean this, no offense to New York. Right. But the quality of musicians in L.A. Ridiculous. You know, they're just as strong as any city in the world. Yeah. This town is full of unbelievably... Um, And, and cutting edge musicians and commercial musicians, all you know, really. Well, this town, this town has a huge pool of musicians, and there's a lot of you know. Whereas New York is is far more jazz centric and classical. Yeah. Um, jazz. L. A. has a much more wide open kind of, you know, the various things you know i mean new york has a very strong singer songwriter thing going on right now too on oh, new york does. yeah yeah but la yeah. of course is huge, huge and, and funk and all these kinds of music and all the oh very many of the major touring stars are la kind of based mm. with their bands and yeah. stuff so i mean la is a great town for music and musicians it's just it doesn't have the scene that new york has the community and New York has a has a you know New York has a leg up just because it's New York and yeah. it's it's a jazz town. I mean New Orleans I'm sure is for for that is also very strong. I mean yeah. when you go to New Orleans if you're a tourist you want to go hear some jazz. You want to hear New Orleans so, jazz. So yeah. that that makes like a certain sort of pad that the scene can really be vibrant and live on. So 
it was just but it was just inspiring to hear so many great musicians to see like like at Mesro I played on a Tuesday night which is this cool basement club and I did like a couple of sets with Hillary and then right after us there was another whole band came in mm -hmm. and they were students basically kind of young kids and it was they played a little bit and then they turned it into a jam session so the scene went from like you know people who were a little older and worked and those kind of jazz fans yeah you know on a tuesday night and eventually it sort of morphed into like the musicians hanging and the young musicians waiting to play and, that, and how cool that is because you know i got to hear a bunch of really great young players and they got you know we got to meet each other and you know it's like that's the community that's the way this music is going to yeah. really nurture the music in the way it's going to move forward in the future so it was really fun. I plan to go back a lot more. <clears throat> My initial reason to go back there was just to find a place <clears throat> to stage the red guitar for like a week run somewhere in an off-Broadway kind of theater. Yep. And I've got some options there. And I've got some other friends looking at other places for me and got some sort of, I wouldn't call them agents, but representatives that are kind of helping me. Did it? When was the last time you were in New York? Like for that kind of thing. For that, I mean, I was in New York about 18, 20 years ago, but for a different reason. Were you, did you, you lived in New York? I lived in New York, but that was like 40 years ago. How long did you live there? A couple of years. Did you love it? Yeah. Yeah. And did, going back this It was time, a whole different town then, though. Right. Whole yeah, I'd imagine. But now going back this trip, I kind of felt like the... It was definitely pulling at the heartstrings to spend more time in New York. Definitely. Right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. I just would suggest anybody who loves jazz music to, you know, give themselves a vacation there. Yeah. It's just, it's Disneyland for jazz. Yeah. Wow. That's really cool. I'm going to be in Brooklyn. We've got a lot of fans in Brooklyn. Yeah. I've sent a lot of guitar work well, you know, merch to def Brooklyn. Definitely. Like I said, this kid, Matthew... He's a kid, and he's not a kid, but he's a kid to me. Um, he plays good, and he plays all over. There's yeah. lots of places to play. You know, there's guys are doing it, you yeah. know. And, I mean, yeah, you hear all the true things. It's really expensive there, and yeah. it's hard to live, you know, making typical gig money. Sure, you know, I mean, I'm not I'm not here to say, like, oh, yeah, it's like, Eddie, everybody move to New York and make a living playing jazz. <laughs> I'm not saying that at all. Um but there's a there's a vibe and there's it's a there's vibrant a community scene, yeah. and scene. And I went to Rudy's, which is this great guitar store. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the famous one. And I mean, they have like, oh, probably eight or nine D'Angelicos in this one case, and I got to play a bunch of them. Yeah. And uh, it was really like going to a shrine. It was really amazing, like a museum. Really? Yeah. I should go to Rudy's when I'm there. Oh, it's a really cool hang. The yep. people are really nice. Yeah. So, uh, what kind of prices are they pulling? Well, I mean, I didn't really ask too much. I wasn't interested in buying, but um, I think the D'Angelicos are all in the twenty to fifty thousand range, right? Which is really not so high. Chump change, you know, compared to, <laughs> you know, a, a a violin would cost a good great violins go for a hundred grand. So, yeah, easy. Know, uh, well, there are, and they don't burn, but like a third is long. No, <laughs> you know they'll keep you warm for about two minutes. And they're gone. Yeah. You, know? you get more bang for your buck. You really, a guitar will burn for a good half hour. Yeah, man. at least, at least. <laughs> so New New York was a success. Now, 
I mean, success, yes. I mean, it was just such a great time. I did, did, did a version of the red guitar out in Long Island. Matt Wilson, this drummer I played with, set up a concert for me there. And I did it and uh, had a great time. Isn't uh, going out there, now that I go out there a lot, but going out there, such a different world. Like, it, it is so different. Just the way people live, the, the culture, just everything is so different. And of course, we're all the same, but I go out there and it's like, it's everything I see on TV about, you know, New York. It's Well, yeah, there's just so many damn people. I mean, yeah, you fly in and you see it. You drive in from the airport crazy. and you see it and you realize like, all those people right on top of each other. Everywhere you go, yeah. people, people. People, you know, you look up and you see, you know, 50 floors of flushing toilets. You go, where the hell is this going? You know what I, I mean? I don't know. We stayed, we've stayed in a bunch of places. Last place we stayed at out there, we had a tiny elevator and it could fit just two people. Uh -huh. And if you have got groceries, you might be like waving the person. Hey, you got to come wait to get my groceries yeah. out. But it's, I don't know how people live like that. And for me as a country Australian guy, lived, grew up on a farm. And space was everywhere. This in New York is a mind trip. Yeah, it Just, can be claustrophobic. Oh my god! But it I, isn't for me. I know I don't ever feel that. You, you feel all right. And you know, and I and I live in the country. You know. Yeah. So, but wasn't San Francisco a mini New York? Well, San Francisco is a city, and I grew yeah. up in it. But I mean, now where I live in Carmel Valley, it's the country. I've yeah, got, you're you in know, space, in, right? Yeah, it's quiet and nobody around. But I just I love it. I just yeah. love it, you know. I mean, it's it's definitely a weird thing, you know. You first hit it and you go, whoa, you yeah. know, and then and then it's just so cool because there's so many great people. Yeah. And now it's so completely different from when I lived there. It's so safe. Yeah. Walking around, you have no. I don't have any. Um, you know, I didn't even like feel like I had to kind of watch. You know, back in the days I lived there, you know, carrying my guitar around, I was like watching doorways and yeah. staying over towards the middle, you know, middle of the sidewalk towards the street so I could, you know, in case somebody showed up, I could have an exit path. I mean, that was always on my mind then. Yeah. Now, no, no, there's just, it's women walking around, yeah. you know. Open. Yeah, it's, it's, um, that's a great thing. Yeah. It's a really great thing. It's a really great change. The first time I went to New York, I, <laughs> It's such a green, dumbass Australian. I was in Times Square, and you know the guys with the cards? Oh, yeah, you tried to play that? Oh. No, I didn't want to. I was just standing there watching these guys. I'm like, I know this is a scam. I'm just going to watch. So I walk up, and these guys are like flipping the cards over, the three cards, whatever. And the guy goes, looks at me, goes, and I'm standing back because I don't want to be involved. And he goes, free guess. What? Which one? I'm like, no, I'm not playing. He goes, no, no, free guess, free guess. I'm like, all right, all right, it's that one. He goes, you won! And he gives me $300, throws it in my hand, right? So he's got $300 in this hand, and at the same time, two of them are going, you've just got to show us you can match that. You can just pull out your wallet, pull out. And they're all screaming at you, and you've got $300. So you're concentrating on the $300. And you're pulling your wallet out, which is a biggest no-no, and they're going through your wallet, and you're still hanging on to their $300, right? So I've got my wallet in one hand, $300 in the other hand. <laughs> Boy, are you a bumpkin. Yeah, I'm dumb as shit. Uh, 
and they're going through my wallet and I'm like, no, 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 I, I, yes, yes, no, no. And they're like, never go, never go. Which one is it? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not playing. Choose one, choose one, that one. No, you've lost. So they grabbed the 300 they gave me and, and $180 out of my wallet. And then they just go back to playing like I wasn't even there. And I'm standing there like a dumbass with my wallet. And I'm like, that all happened in five seconds. And I, I flip out. I'm like, you motherfuckers. Are... And a big guy from the corner, big black dude, walks over and just pulls me to the side and goes, it's time to leave. And I start yelling at him. Dude, you know what they just did? And then it clicked. It was like, oh, they were so good. They got me good. Yeah. I... And they owned me in five seconds. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget that. That was green Australian yeah. shit. But anyway. A lot of fun. Yeah. But New York, that was awesome. Dumble amplifiers. The guy that falls to sleep on the couch when Scott and I start talking about gear and you are now working with... Well, I got, I got, I finally, you know, I'm sure that we have talked about me wanting and maybe potentially going to see Dumble, right? That, that not, we, we, we mentioned that on the show. Maybe a little bit, but not much. Okay, well, for the folks that, we're paying attention. Sorry, I have to say this again for the votes that weren't. Uh, I have a friend who has a Dumble amp and a couple of Dumble amps. And I was playing them at his house. And, and they really are amazing amps, I got to say. You know, I mean, as my guitars sound as good in those amps as they've ever sounded. What about them makes Okay, sense? well, basically, you know how Fender amps, are, the beauty of them is that they're, they're clear and fat. Right. The, the bad thing about them sometimes is when you want them a little brighter, they get harsh mm. and kind of ice picky, yep. you know, uh, and they lose their fatness and sweetness and become kind of crunchy and just Yucky. Not, yeah. not pleasant. Yep. Well, he just seems to have a way to me. This is my feeling about it, is it his, this particular mod, the Ultraphonics, is that he, you can really get a lot more clarity and brightness and presence without that harsh harshness. It's sweet still. It's sweet and fat, way up into the bright spectrum. Wow. Which is, um, which is nice, because yep. that's a pretty part of the guitar. Yeah. Like, even you guys with tellies are always turning the treble down. Down, yeah. Because, you know, it, it's Too like much. ice pick, yep. you know? And really, it's a beautiful part of the guitar, it's just the amp is not, I mean, because like if you just, if you could hear that guitar acoustic, any good acoustic guitar, you hear how bright it is and it's beautiful sounding. But, you know, you get through an amplifier and then all of a sudden it gets problematic. Right. That's the biggest difference I noticed about Dumble Amps. But I also noticed that they're just really well balanced, you know, not uh, just a balanced sound. Just, and so, uh, I, you know, I considered getting one. You know, I love it. And um, and so my friend tried to hook me up with them. I sent him a couple emails saying, I've got this guitar and it's particularly doesn't like amps. And maybe you could, maybe he could design something that would really, you know, work for right. me. This is the red guitar. No, not, yes. And, and it's not that I'm unhappy with the... Uh, the amps that I play through, because I'm I am happy with them, and I'm very happy mostly with their 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 portability and their stability. That you know they don't break, mm -hmm. and they can live in the trunk of my car, and they don't complain. You know, so 
so anyways, this guy came to my house and he had just gotten one of his dumbbells back and he was loving it and we were playing it. We were having a good time. He just videoed me playing through it and he sent it to him. Mm-hmm. And like right after that, he emailed me back. He says, I really like your playing. You know, I can hear, you know, a lot of nuance in it. And yeah, I think you'd really be a good candidate for one of these amps. And I so think it's, great. It's almost an audition process. It, it, is, it felt it, like it. Right. You know, and of course, it, it was a personal recommendation as well. Right. And, uh, and a lot of it was like, wow, cool. I'd love to meet this guy. And, and a lot of, I mean, not going to be bullshit here. A lot of the, my reason for doing this is not only selfish. Uh, I know that the people who listen to this podcast... He's he's like uh he's like the Pope or something. I mean, <laughs> he's he's this weird mystery figure who's made these amazing amps, and everybody wants I assume wants to know about him and mm-hmm. wants to know what it's like to deal with him and all yeah. this stuff. So for me, a lot of it was just being a, a, a reporter and letting all you guys know what it's like to go to the den of Dumble <laughs> and talk and just talk to this guy much, yeah. or go through the process of having an amp made for you yeah. if, if we get that far. Right. So um, we made a couple of appointments. He canceled a couple times for various reasons. There was the fire up in near his house that, you know, there was a big fire in Los Angeles. So, um, and then there was... Uh, this is going back. This is going back, you yeah. know, but that it really created havoc on him, because mm-hmm. uh, just because uh, you'd have to ask him, and uh, and also uh, we did set a date, and there was like I guess there was a record date or a recording, and he had to be on available for one of his clients, you know, for the amp tech kind of part he of didn't the say record who? Day. no he didn't mm-hmm. i mean my guess would be like jackson brown or something because i know they're pretty tight mm-hmm. but i don't know he didn't say and so anyway so we canceled that and then it ended up working out like just a couple weeks ago where i got to go to his house and it was really exciting and he, you know he gave me the address at the very last minute you know <laughs> and probably was on that thing where it just you know, destroys itself in six seconds or something, you know, like Mission Impossible. And so uh, and so I went up to his house, and I didn't know what to expect, because let's face it, I've seen that one YouTube video of him, and uh, where he kind of speaks in a completely different language than us humans, you know, and uh, and he didn't seem to be really that happy to be where he was in that thing he's mm. not pissed off but not particularly like you know mm, yeah. friendly yeah and of course i've heard the stories about him you know disowning people for disowning friends for various reasons so i mean i kind of ha- had him pegged as sort of a cantankerous guy yeah i think we all do yeah and um and so i got there and uh he's anything but that he was so gracious. No, I'm not saying if I didn't do something to piss him off that he wouldn't be a drag, mm-hmm. like any of us. Yeah. But just his nature, he's a sweet, gentle, gracious person. Super smart. Yeah. Super smart. And uh, I got the opportunity to play a bunch of his amps 
the different kinds of mods. There is like a <clears throat> thing he calls Ultraphonics, which is a, a Vibrolux Pro Reverb. It's a blackface mod, you know, deluxe. Yeah. That style. There's a thing he calls the Tweedledee, which is like a Fender Bassman Tweed mod. And then he has the Overdrive Special, which is his amp. And the Steel String Singer, which is another one of his amps. Yeah, he builds them from the ground up. Yeah, those are ground up amps. Right, okay. And he didn't have a Steel String Singer, so right. I didn't get a chance to play one. Yeah. He did have, um, and he has something new. It's called the Little Darlin', I think. Oh, okay. And it's, it's like a champ. Really? It's like the size of a lunchbox. Yeah. And I guess it's kind of for guys that really want to crank in the studio but don't want to be loud. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I got to play them all, and uh, we talked about it, and, uh, you know, I, I really love, the funniest thing, I love the Overdrive Special, even though I didn't overdrive it, just the clean sound on that amp was just beautiful. Really? Yeah, but the wow. first thing I noticed is, like, the first amp I plugged into was a Vibrolux, and he, I let him equalize it, you know, I just plugged in, and I let him play my guitar so he could kind of hear it, you mm-hmm. know? Yep. And then uh, play my guitar, and he plugs me in. And he had, like, the treble up to seven. And he had the bright switch on. Now, I've never played. I've never played a Fender like that. I've never turned a bright switch on. (laughs) I mean, you know it happens. Yeah, with that. Yeah, Yeah, you know it happens. You just don't do that. No. And, I mean, with a Deluxe or a Vibrolux, I rarely get the treble above three or four. That's, like, really pushing it. Yeah. And this thing... I mean, it was bright, but it sounded great. Wow. I, you know, I probably, I probably, if I were playing it, would have backed off the treble a little. But I'm just saying that whole thing about it being that bright that I don't usually like, that wasn't there, man. Wow. So uh, it was really cool. I played a bunch of amps. We hung out for a lot of time, talked about a lot of different stuff. Now, you were there like four or five hours? Yeah. That's nuts. It was just great. And he was, you know... he speaks different languages and knows all this stuff about stuff and it's really you know even though he's not really connected like to the modern world in certain ways i mean he's not like a social media guy for sure right and um he's like very he's very aware of what's happening in the world yeah and you know he like really misses uh radio shack <laughs> really? Well, no. I mean, think about a guy like him yeah. who's a brilliant gadget guy. Yeah. I mean, he, 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 my guess is he probably grew up in Radio Shack yeah. stores, making yeah. things and buying things there. That was probably his place to get everything. And, you know, now it's gone. And he's like... Now, doesn't he and, have and a place? Mall, and just in general, malls, you know. He said he hung out in malls. You know, Radio Shacks are in malls. And, yeah. like, now malls are kind of dying. You know, yeah. Amazon's killing everything. And, yeah. you know, I mean, he, he just really was a very... You know, you mean that's not the kind of thing you'd expect, right? No. And and he was just gracious as the day is long, and and you're sitting there, and he's got a lot of stuff in his house. You know, I mean, like what do you just mean? Stuff. I mean, speakers and amp carcasses, and <laughs> you know, it's a busy house. It's it's busy because that must be his work area. Right. You know, and so there's just lots of stuff. Over, I mean, a- you're talking about a guy who's been doing that for. You know, 40, 50 years. Yeah, yeah. So there's just lots of stuff he's got. Is he and a hoarder? I don't know if I'd go that far. But close. You, you know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. I wouldn't... He's a big guy too, right? Yes, he's big. He's big. And how old is he now? 
that you'd have to Google. My guess is he's a couple years older than me, which puts him mid sixties, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And uh, and I know the guys he played with, and he was playing before I started. So, you know, I mean, I know guys up in the Santa Cruz area in San Jose area where he started. Yeah. Who like to remember him taking their amps and messing with them? You know what I mean? And not always getting great results when he first started. Out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And. Uh, <laughs> and playing playing bass in a couple bands and playing guitar in some other bands and I mean his his amps there was an amp the other day just yesterday I saw on Facebook they're playing it was they listed it a hundred grand yeah well they they do sell for that I mean Fuck. I I asked him and then I you know I mean and he's aware of of the the guys that are cloning. Oh, for sure, the clone guys, yeah. But we Is didn't he... talk about that. We didn't talk about And I okay. do know from just some friends of mine who have been ostracized for various reasons with him. And, of course, I never got his reason for it. Right. But uh, that that's a very sore subject for him. Oh, uh, like cloning? Like ripping like the guy, The guys who were doing that. Okay. And he bugs, it bugs him. Right, that they're not doing their own thing; that yeah. they're just kind of copying, copying him, him. And, and and in a way, kind of making a business out of right. him. Yeah, uh, I think that bothers him. Uh, that's why I didn't bring it up. Yeah, uh, that was didn't come in our conversation. He's uh, he's of course he's aware that those amps are selling at those prices. Right, because um, I asked him. I said, "So you've heard me play." You know, if you were advising me, what of the Dumble suite of products? think would be the best thing for me to get right and he said well i'd tell you to be a i'd tell you to get a steel string singer that would be the amp for you really he said but i know you're a jazz musician so i would tell you not to get it because i would charge you two hundred thousand dollars <laughs> and, and, and you you don't you you couldn't afford it 200k is what he would charge to make one of those he said fuck <laughs> <laughs> well, that's you know that's what they're selling for, two hundred thousand dollars. Stevie Ray Vaughan's amp sold for more than that. Well, I, I don't understand. But he, that. but he's he, what he can't make one better now. He's but, that much more experienced. Yeah. Oh, it's the Providence they're paying for, not the amp. Okay, maybe. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm totally. Little bit, little bit I don't of know. Both. I don't know how this works. You know. Yeah. I mean, frankly, great amps. You know. Yeah, is he rich? Look around his place. Is he rich? Does he look like he's doing great? It's hard to tell. Right. It's hard to tell. He's, he living, he's definitely in his own bubble. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. I mean, he, he doesn't have... Uh, he's not wearing designer clothing. <laughs> and, and the part of the house that I saw is, I think, his, his work area. So it was mostly like a, anybody's 
who if you ever go to an amp shop amp tech guy that works on stuff Nick that's what i saw shit's everywhere yep so you know i mean hell the hell you know he could have a you know a bedroom suite that looked like you know donald trump's house or right. something you golden toilet or something i don't know yeah but no where i was i didn't get that thing i didn't see like a mercedes or a Dusenberg parked in the in the driveway yeah but uh that doesn't mean He's not, but you know, those guys who were selling his amps for all that money, he's not getting that money. No. I mean, I think I heard the story, and again, Alexander didn't tell me. He goes by the name of Alexander now. Not uh, Howard. No, not Howard. He's Alexander now. Where did Howard come from? Howard was, I think, the name he went by for many years. And now he's Alexander. I don't know, maybe maybe one's his middle name and one's his right. first name. Yeah. I've known him as Alexander only, so... Uh, yeah, Alexander Howard Dumble. Whatever. I don't. And so, um, just a brilliant guy, really has great opinions about things. You know, I didn't see a sign of of a angry, whacked out, crazy, any of those things you hear about. Mm-hmm. Um, matter of fact, we talked about Scott, and he loves Scott. Wow, yeah. He loves Scott. They were good friends for a long time. Yeah. And I don't know that they're not still good friends. I mean, mostly, I think, besides the fact that he made an amp for Scott and all that stuff, um, they lived near each other. Mm-hmm. They were like neighbors. So they hung out a lot, yeah. too. Yeah. I mean, he knows you know, his wife, and he knows that house and everything. So, um, but when he talked about Scott... He talked about him in many ways with this beautiful sort of kind of sentimental longing. Like as if, you know, he said, as if, you know, I just couldn't make him happy. Yeah. You know, it's like he really wished that the amps that he made him or the amp that he made him was the amp he was still using because he really wanted to and he really thought he could, you know, but Scott went on to Sir and he knows mm-hmm. that, yeah. you know, and... He wishes Scott well. He's not mad at him for it or anything. But, you know, I could see that it was almost as like he felt like he'd kind of had a failure there in some way, which is totally not the thing you'd think of from all the stories I've heard of this guy. You know, it was a gentle kind of, oh, shit, that one got away. You know, I wish I could have figured out what it was. Like a long lost lover. Yeah, yeah. I mean, (laughs) mean, not that, you know. Yeah, but but it had that quality to it, which really made me. I found very endearing. Mm-hmm. And and I really didn't want him to get the feeling that I was being a journalist. I didn't want to be disingenuous. I mean, I told him about Guitar Wank. I didn't invite him on yet. I think I might have suggested that he listen to it so maybe he'd like it and then he'd want to come on. Right. Because, you know, we do want him to come on. Yeah, fuck yeah. Uh, I, uh, I did ask one kind of journalistic question, <laughs> which was, instead of all the guys you've dealt with, who were the biggest pain in the ass? You know, the the, <laughs> the most demanding, the ones that busted your balls the most. And uh, he said to me, he said, well, he said, Carlos Santana and Steve Travato. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Steve Travato just sold his. Oh, well... Oh, we don't say that? Well, I don't think Alexander knows that. Right. And I think there might be a problem. 
I didn't tell him. I didn't feel if it's up to Steve to tell Alex, right. Alexander. But at the same time, I he he said to me, "Well, you know, he's got one of my amps still." You know, so, um, I do know for yeah, I, I have to confirm that I know that because Steve told me. Yeah, and uh, maybe I should have told Alexander, but I just didn't feel like. It was your I, I, I just wasn't sure whether Steve told me in confidence. Well, of course, now I'm telling Guitar Wank. Right. But, uh, yeah. And, you know, like Robin sold one of his recently. Hey, Robin did. But I believe he gave it back to Alexander to sell. Okay. And then they kind of probably worked out some sort of split I, of the money. I, I believe saw, that's what I heard. I saw Robin talk on Reverb about he had the first one he bought was 1500 a Dumble, mm. and then the next Dumble he bought was like 13,000. Uh. Um, and he he just raved about them, he just said how great they are. But we don't have to mention the guitarist's name, I would love to, but we won't. Uh-huh. But there is a guitarist that Dumble will not build a guitar, right? Right, there, there are probably numerous, but right. one he told me about one, and I, yeah. It's whatever, you know. It's, <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, and, and I now, I now maybe if you'll hear this, maybe I'll be one, I'll be the second one. <laughs> but um, I'm going to go, he did agree to make me one. And so I feel like I've got to follow through on this. So it's going to cost me a, a sizable amount of money. I'm not going to say what. Because, Send your donations to get Yeah, uh, I'm going to do it because uh, I figure it's a good investment, if, if nothing more. It'd be, right. Of course, to have a great amp. Like, like that, even for just the studio, yeah, and my home, yeah. You know, uh, I I just can't think of. I mean, it's something, and you know, and I'm not. I feel a little silly, and it's ironic that I'm a guy who doesn't is not really a gearhead guy, but I do have really nice amps. Yeah, I've got a um, '65 Pro Reverb that is just a beautiful amp. I've got two amps made by this guy Rick Hayes. As vintage sound amps out of Florida, which are just beautiful amps. Yeah. So, you know, if I have a Dumble, you know, I mean, I'm, I've been playing for forty years. It's great, you know, yeah. and I and I'll probably be willing to sell one of the vintage sounds now mm-hmm. because I think if the guys, I, th- I think the I think what well I've got a Pro and I've got like my I got that little Princeton Deluxe kind of thing that. Rick Hayes made me. So I have kind of a Vibrolux version of mm. Rick Hayes, which is a great amp, an amazing fucking amp. Yeah. But I think that's what I'm going to get Dumble to do is a Vibrolux modification. Right. So in which case, I'm kind of redundant, so I'll probably sell that amp. Is that the Vibrolux small? No, that's, that's a Vibra Verb, yeah, Vibra what Verb. you have. Vibrolux is two tens. This is two tens. Is it well, smaller than that or same size? It's smaller than that, okay. I think. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah, it's smaller. I think it's a little less powerful. I wonder, would Dumble take this and rework it? <laughs> uh, again, he's got, as, as you know, you, for those of you who listen to the show, Val McCallum was on, and uh, he's, he's very peculiar about what he will work on. Yeah. He's got health issues, yeah. and he believes that, that amps that aren't clean, you know, that have a lot of corrosion and stuff, make him sick. Right. And so... Um, he was very adamant about it. it's got to be a 65 blackface kind of 66 64 yeah a blackface fender it's got to be really clean you know or he won't do it right so um wow that's just you know those are the rules he plays by uh i don't feel right 
saying what I have to pay because he may be giving me a deal or yeah, not. No, I don't know. know he, you know, so so it's it's way more than I've ever spent yeah. on an amplifier. But is it a, a, co- like a coincidence you're selling your house in Carmel? <laughs> don't I, you, now my wife will hear that. Oh shit! I hope Pammy doesn't just listen to this. No, but but I mean, if you Google Dumble amplifiers and you start seeing what they're going for and the history and the players and it's a big fucking deal. I mean, it's it's big. Yeah, but you know, I mean, and again, there are just as many people, and I know them, amp freaks. Yeah. Who don't like them as much as some other, or right. some guys who have had Dumbles, who swear that the, like the clones, like the Two Rock and Two Rock, okay, and uh, Fuchs and some of those others. Some people think those yeah. are better or right. as good, yeah. you know. Some people even think that pedal is as good, yeah, you know. So it's like, it's so subjective. Right. The fact is, is things that can't be denied. In many ways, Dumble was the originator. the originator of the amp building mod. Him and like Pat Quilter was doing it back then. I mean, certain guys were the original right. real amp mod guys. And obviously, it's hard to argue with, you know, Dumble having made his amps for, you know, Carlos Santana and Robin Ford and, you know, Larry Carlton and... Stevie Ray Vaughan and Eric Clapton. Yeah. You know, I mean, these guys are kind of known for their tone. Yeah. Known for tone. Yeah. And even Scott Henderson for a while. Yeah. So, I mean, it's hard to argue with this man's genius and the fact that he started this industry. Yeah. And um, so you, you you are getting a piece of history when you're getting him. And and, and I think that that's, that is worth something. You know, I mean, it's like... Bob Benedetto, this great guitar builder. I mean, no, now everybody's going to go to sleep because it's archtop guitars, but instead of amps. <laughs> but you know, I mean, he has the Benedetto Guitar Company, and he oversees the company. But it's all being made by, you know, his apprentices and yeah. his, his workshop people, and they're great guitars. And he's overseeing everything, so the workmanship is great. But if he hand makes it, it's like a whole other stratosphere of a prize. Right. Yeah, and it. And he may tell you, to your face, that it's not any better than the ones that his apprentices are cranking out, because Lord knows he's there with quality control. Yeah. But... And a guitar player may tell you that they're not even as good. Yeah. But they're still more valuable. Because it's his hands, man. Like in D'Angelico guitars, you know. But, I mean, back to the D'Angelicos, you want to know what made, I think, those guitars so good was they were played so much. Right. I mean, there were guitars on the other wall that were brand new, made by great luthiers. And I don't think necessarily that the D'Ang- the, the D'Angelicos were amazing. But so were those other guitars. Yeah. But there's something about a guitar that's been played thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of hours and thousands of gigs yeah. versus a guitar that's brand new. Yeah. There's just no comparison. Yeah, makes sense. You know? And I don't know if amps... I think amps are kind of that way too, man. Yeah. They, they just wear into a really sweet place. Wow. And that might be why he refuses to do new amps. Is because he doesn't want to deal with the break-in stuff. Mm. Yeah. Process. I don't know. Are you, I, that, that will be a question. If, if I get to see him again, 
I will ask him because I know as well as anybody from all the stories that he could just decide that he doesn't want to deal with me for whatever reason. He could hear this podcast and think that I've divulged information or not treated him respectfully. And and that's okay. I live... (laughs) I'll live with that. Right. So... um, So is... Do you think it's... There is a chance... That he may want to come on and share his story? I would say that, yeah. That, 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 I didn't get the feeling, hanging out with him, that that would be a drag. He's not a shut-in. He's not agoraphobic. He's not a mean person. Mm-hmm. He goes out. Yeah. You know, he was talking about business meeting here and going to the mall there and, you know, yeah. and going to this session here. So... That's not a problem. Right. So it's just a matter of whether he trusts me and whether he feels like doing it, you know. But I mean... How cool would that be? I would love to have him here. I think everybody who's listening to me now, if they are if they haven't already turned it off, they probably would want to hear him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really is. And now, wasn't he... Was he... You said... Well, did you tell me? Or was he approached by Fender to work... I don't know about that. I know I mean, someone told I would me let that. Him t- he, I would let him. He was approached by Fender or he approached by I a would, bunch of I companies? I would bet that he'd been approached by right. numerous amplifier companies. Yeah. You know, and I um, mean, if and if he's hearing the stories that all his amps are going for that kind of money, I don't see why he wouldn't entertain that idea. But he, he's got his own reasons for doing what he wants to do yeah. and it's his brand. And if, you know, if he's got everything he needs, then why does he want to go down that road and right. get into bed with a company that might make shitty stuff with his name on it? Yeah. I can understand that. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a couple of guitar companies that wanted me to come on board, one in particular, and I really had no belief that their quality control was was what they were about. Yeah. So it's like, well, why, why, why am I going to get a signature guitar from this company and endorse them when I know that their answer was, well, I said, well, you're going to make me this guitar, right? Yeah. And um, what if I don't like it? Like, what if we need to make another one? And their answer was, well, we'll just make you another one. No, their answer was, well, that's okay. We'll just sell it to somebody else and we'll make you another. In other words, if I found it to be an inferior instrument, they were still just going to sell it to some somebody. So it's like, right. I don't think I want to deal with you guys. Damn you, Gibson. <laughs> look where it led him. Look, <laughs> no. That was not Gibson, folks. I say Gibson, but uh, and the rumors. I, I think we even talked. Did we mention that, that Joe Bonamassa was going to be Gibson? Was a crock of shit too. Yeah, that didn't happen. I even did. Joe was like, "I'm not buying Gibson. I haven't. That, he hasn't got that kind of money." But nobody would do it. But anyway, um, wow, what. A, it's just so. Anyways, crazy that's, I hope that was wasn't completely boring for everyone. No, I mean seriously, man. Like we hear about the Dumble amplifiers, and I had Jackson Brown's number ten Dumble amplifier here. Really? And we played through that, and my Jim Kelly, and I preferred the Jim Kelly. Yeah. And this is easy, one hundred and fifty thousand dollar amp. I mean, it's Jackson Brown's. It's number ten. Easy, 150 grand. But I'm sure it's tweaked to what maybe Jackson Brown wanted at the time. It's very specific what he does for players, right? Uh, you know, 
So what one player d- I get doesn't the, mean I get every the, amp's I get work. the feeling. I don't know. I really don't know. I'm, well, he's building the amp specifically, like what you want. Well, yeah. He, to a point, Yeah, right? to a point. Not really. I mean, he heard me play. Right. So if a, a, a big blues guy he got your amp, it's... It's still going to be a great amp. It's still going to be a great amp, but it might be more set up for Bruce Vaughn than it's for Might be. Guy. I don't know. Yeah. I really don't know. I mean, they may want the basement. Model. I think we need to get Howard on the show. You know, it'd be very interesting for to hear him say what he has to say, you know, and I'm hoping that I hear back from him. I, I have been emailing and haven't heard, but, you know, it's only been a few days. Yeah. He's usually pretty responsive. He's, like I say, he's a really good guy. He wanted to introduce me to people. He wanted to help me out. He just, all those stories. I'm, I'm just got to say that from what I mostly have heard in the, in the rumor mythology, <laughs> um, it turned out to be not true. Yeah, it was yeah. just a delightful afternoon with a really smart person who was really cool and yeah. had a lot of great stories. And of course, you're sitting there. Your eye catches a picture, you know, you know, Stevie Ray Vaughan, you know, thanks for making my career, you know, kind of thing. Wow. You know, it's like, okay, Eric Clapton, you know, this, uh, you know, Carlos, you know, I mean, these, you know, it's just, it's kind of like a museum on that level too, you know. Wow, man. I'm sure there's a lot of players that have tried to get them and they just couldn't. Yeah, for whatever reason, whether you didn't want to deal with them. Whether, whatever, you know, and I'm not saying that, you know, that the Dumble I met that day is the Dumble everybody sees every day. Yeah. I, I just, my experience was, wow, this guy's really, he seemed to have a lot of integrity, he seemed to be very considerate. Did he mention where he does go to get his, like, his parts and stuff like that? No. No.
it's I bet he orders them online. Right. Yeah, now. Amazon. <laughs> Man, well, there you go. Bruce Foreman, Dumble. There you go. And, you know, really, I know everybody probably thinks that I'm, like, such a fucking liar now because <laughs> I'm, I'm fall asleep. Like, there's been a lot of comments about me being, you know, uh, you know, a hypocrite, which I knew going in, uh, you know, and that, you know, I'd, I'd like go to sleep when Scott talks about tone, but really I talk about tone a lot myself, you know, and I do care about sound. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I just, you know, I don't know. I'm just a hypocrite. What can I say? <laughs> Well, there you fucking go. New York, Dumble, damn. What else? Oh, your, your 10 songs. Was it That's 10? been getting a lot of hits. That's been getting a lot of discussions all over the world. And um, basically what we've figured out is it's, it's easy and... It's sh- mostly positive, right? Yeah. It's, mostly positive. It's uh, all positive. You know, I realized that, you know, Scott never wants to teach. And then I finally, it wasn't really teaching. I, it was sort of teaching. I just did a little master classy kind of thing. And, and we got a lot of response from it. But, you know, it pissed off a lot of people too, didn't it? Well, not pissed off. I just, I think the response was all positive. You know, what's really cool. What, what you did with that was inspire and a lot of guys out there like myself, who I, I'm not a jazz guy at all. I studied a lot of jazz with my teacher back in Australia, Tony Clabro. He definitely put me on that track. But of course, I wanted to make money. <laughs> I wanted to survive. And I was young. I wanted to play rock. I wanted to get laid and all that kind of stuff. And there wasn't a jazz scene where I grew up. But jazz was something I learned and all that kind of stuff. But... It's one of those things, if you're not playing this all the time, that muscle isn't getting worked. So a lot of that information for me has been put in the back of my mind. And you telling us about all these songs, and which was most amazing, I thought, was why should you learn these songs and the importance of them re-energized my interest into okay i need to go back and relearn these tunes that i've studied most of those songs but obviously forgotten them but now i want to go back and revisit them mm-hmm. and through what you've said massive discussions on um guitar wank forum <laughs> which we have a guitar wank yeah we have this guitar wank group, group on facebook kind of... which is fantastic thank you chris yeah thank you chris bosman for doing that yeah bosman and uh that was really cool yeah i mean a labor of love and it's really been cool to see all these people and for those of you i guess you've been mentioning it on the uh, a little bit yeah okay it's just there's a guitar wank group along with liking guitar wank our site we have a group that's moderated and uh it's got a lot of great comments on it and it's really it just feels good i mean we're trying to create community that's i know people get tired of hearing me say that i get tired of hearing me say that i think it's I think it's working. I had a guy, a Guitar Wank listener, reach out and said, Troy, I live three blocks from you. Let's get together and start going through these tunes. Max, fucking awesome. Yeah. I thought that was so cool. And um, as soon as we work out schedules and that, I want to do that. But how great that is that what you've taught inspired all these people. And there was a bunch of teachers that were... 
who teach this stuff, it re-inspired them to express to their students in a different way and it snowballed and there's discussions online and there was even a podcast in England and I'm trying to think that was it guitar talk or whatever, a bunch of pommy guys over there. I know we talked, I talked with one of them, but they talked about what you said and they did say you kind of said that it sounded you made it almost sound too easy too easy well okay um again i prefer to think of it as sounding simple not easy okay you know i i think everything in life is simple right it's just not easy i'm and believe me i'm not suggesting that any of this is easy people please you know, hear me, hear me now. I know how difficult this is. You know, I've worked my ass off to play. I know what kind of dedication, how much work goes into it. Um, but you just got to play these songs. And, you know, you take them and you whatever chords you got, you just play them and you play the chords and you learn that melody and you just play it over and over and over till you play it well, you know, until you play it till it gets almost easy for you to do. Because you've done it so many times this one way. And then now that it's starting to get easy, you th- you, now you've got some bandwidth in your brain, in your hands, to kind of like, well, what if I start on this string? Or what if I play the chords in this part of the neck? And mm. when, then you challenge yourself to find those chords in another part of the neck. And of course, it's going to be hard for a second, and you're going to make mistakes, and you may want to stop for a second just kind of figure them out real quick, and then get back in and play them till they're easy. Then now you've got two ways of doing it. And then you do a third way. And then you've, you, once you get three or four ways going, then you start kind of like mixing and matching. And, you know, you find yourself moving around. And that, that process, after you do it to that first tune, when you go to do it to the second tune, it's like twice as easy. Right. And when you do, by the time you get to the tenth tune, it's ten times as easy to go through that process. And what maybe took 10, 50, 100 hours at the beginning, now takes two or five, oops, takes, (laughs) it takes five hours, you know, or, you know, I mean, it takes like half the amount of time to get to that same place you got to. Right. So, I mean, believe me, I'm not, but, and again, think back, everybody, when you learned, you were in a garage band, you learned a song, you struggled your way through it, you sounded like shit, you played it over and over and over and over and over and over again, your parents hated you, you know, the, the people in the neighborhood hated hated you because they were tired of hearing it, yep. and you guys stayed with it, and eventually you got pretty good at it, and then you learned another song, and you, you learned what that song had to teach you, but you also had all that other stuff you'd worked out from the song before to bring to that, and it's this beautiful process that that is really it's like we're so damn result oriented that we don't realize that the process is really the beauty of it all the learning of it the enjoyment the the accomplishment the being involved and dedicating yourself to something that's the the stuff just being good at it isn't what it's about Right. Because first of all, you never are. Yeah. And second of all, it's not getting somewhere. It's doing something that makes it work. Yeah. And it, and and believe me, because if it becomes about being good, then your music is just a bunch of arrogant bullshit. 
If it's about struggling and striving to communicate something, then it's beautiful and it's full of life and spirit. Yeah. You know, so I just, you know, I don't know. Yeah, for I got to, you know, humbly disagree with some of this, like, why are people doing this in the first place? You know, I mean, it's like, if it's easy, it's hard. Who gives a shit? It doesn't really even matter if it's easy or hard. And believe me, I'm not suggesting it's easy, but it is simple. It is. Yeah. Just learn the fucking song. That's how jazz started. Guys were playing songs. They got tired of playing them the same way. They started improvising on them and changing them up. And that became all sorts of things that now, when people go to start learning improvising, the first thing they do is start shoving a bunch of scales on top of the song before they even know the song. Yeah. You know, they look at the real book and they play over the chords and they just shove in a bunch of vocabulary and scales and arpeggios and they wonder why they sound like shit. Well, you don't know the song would be the, probably the first thing to say. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's bad to have that chart. It's great to have that chart. It helps you learn it faster. But you still need to learn it before you think you're going to really... I mean, I don't think... If you don't know it, you shouldn't be allowed to improvise on it. You should just be playing chords for other people to improvise. Yeah. When you know it, then you can take a ride. Yeah. Yeah. And knowing it means not just the chords, but the melody too. Right. And you know, and I don't see, some people would say that's harsh or mean, but you know, come on. It's like, do you want to, like I say, do you want to fuck or you want to fuck around? Yeah. Really? Come on. Is that is that if that's asking too much, then this shit's always going to be too hard for you. Right. I think that's that. But that's that's how you learn, right? Yeah. That was your standard. Yeah. Well, that's that's how the guys I played with. That is. You know what I mean? The guys I play with. That's what their demands were for me to play with them. Right. If I wanted to play with them, that's what I had. That's the level I had to be at. Sure, they were going to let me kind of fumble my way through the first night of it. Once that was done, if they ever played that thing again, I was expected to know it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and rightfully so. I had all day long to go home and listen to records. And, you know, for me then, finding a recording of it was not easy. Yeah. Maybe finding a piece of sheet music of it. That wasn't like you could just go on the internet and get it. I had to find a friend that had a, written out a chart for me or, or I had a recording of it or I go to the record store and hopefully find a recording of it. And thank God that we had a really good record store. Didn't have everything, but had a lot of stuff. Uh, and the guy was so knowledgeable that if I had like a song, like uh, I remember once, The Touch of Your Lips, this really great song the guys were playing. I kind of barely got it, but. You know, I murdered it. (laughs) Executed. I executed that tune. And uh, I went to the guy and I said, man, the song is, you know, the touch of your lips. I really want to learn. And he says, oh, yeah, you probably want to hear the Bill Evans record. You know, he like pulled out like three recordings of it. Oh, here's a good vocalist version. I mean, he just knew. And like, uh, so, you know, the next, that night, I went back to that gig and asked them to play the song again. Right. You know, because... I haven't had something on it then, you know, and then I could hear what they were doing and that added to it, you know. So, I mean, now that's so easy. It's it's interesting. It's We have all this information, right, Yeah. for us. And for guys like me that 
you know, I'm not doing jazz gigs. I'm not making a right. So why would you want to do it? And that's cool. Yeah, but I mean, I want to do it because I want to be a better player, and I'm sure there's a lot of guys in the same boat as me out there. It's like. It's fucking practice. Why am I going to sit down and just run autumn leaves by myself like as many times as you should and I'm not doing it in a situation where I'm under pressure at a gig so I haven't got that pressure on me. You can get lazy, unmotivated, blah, blah, blah. But you can also like this guy Max reached out, dude, let's get together once a week. We'll hit a tune and we'll play it to death for that whole night and work on it together. So maybe that's a way for us guys to learn it. Because I'm not going to go out and do a jazz gig. I don't want to fucking annoy people. <laughs> Why would I do a jazz gig and murder it when guys like you're out there doing it? I need to. And get I'm, my I'm shit annoying together. people, really. You know, there's only so many of us can go out there and annoy people. But that's the difference. We have all this information, but we don't have the avenues as there's. It's not the gigs that they used to be, but like you say go out and make those gigs happen. Right. I mean, okay, I mean, if you want to play at Jazz at Lincoln Center or the Village Vanguard, you know, something like that, Blues Alley. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, that's not going to happen right now. No. For you guys. I mean, for a while. But there's still lots of little gigs to play. There are restaurants to play background music and there's jam sessions to go play tunes at. There is... Or make your that own opportunity. jam session. That, yeah. yeah, or make your own. You know, there is an opportunities out there, and it needs to be explored. Yeah. You know, I mean, again, sorry, folks, community. If, think about it. If every jazz musician, every guy who plays jazz, considered it like service to the community to make a scene better, a personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. Like, think about all these kids in school. And instead of saying, hey, you kids are going to go to school and pay all this money, we're going to give you a certificate, and then you're going to go out and have great careers, which they all think is going to happen. And, of course, they don't realize. <laughs> Probably, you know. Anyways, but... <laughs> instead of saying that, saying, all right, and now when you get out, you've got to do two years in the service. Right. You know, you got to go in the Army, you got to go in the Coast Guard, the Peace Corps. You know, like... Like you do in uh, a lot of countries around yeah, the country. Yeah, right? You know, and so um, what if everybody who played this music thought that way? Says, okay, now I've got, my, got some knowledge. I'm really working hard at this. Now I'm going to go serve the music. I'm going to go create opportunities to play. I'm going to teach other people. I'm going to, you know, look at the new landscape with all the technology and shit we have. Somebody comes up with a new streaming platform for live performance. Somebody, you know what I mean? Somebody realizes, wow, post offices would be a great place to play music. <laughs> or, so, you know what I mean? It's like the light rage. You hear about this guy who goes... Goes, he goes, this guy goes in the library and he says, can I get a hamburger and fries and a, and a chocolate shake? And the lady says to him, sir, this is a library. And he goes, oh, can I have a hamburger, fries, and a chocolate shake? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's one we haven't heard before. Uh, that's a good one. <laughs> anyways, but you know, I mean, find place, you know, if, if everybody who really was into this music, had that attitude of service to the music, mm. to the community. I would suggest to you that there would be places for everybody to play. Right, right. Because it is a great hang. 
and it's you know and everybody would learn to create music that everybody wanted to hear you know i mean it, it just works that way there's yeah. you know how it is you got a band and you got your your you you i'm sure have done this you're in a band and you kind of got your show worked out right yeah and you go out and you hit the road with it the first night doesn't go so well, <laughs> you know. And then, and then you, you 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 don't even aware of how much you're tweaking it. Yeah. Some of the tweaks are like very intentional. We're not going to play this song anymore. We're going to start playing this. You know, <laughs> that stuff happens. Okay, yeah. they're liking the boogie stuff, but the slow stuff ain't working. We're not going to do that. I mean, there's a lot of that natural consciousness. You know, you know. You know, you just do do it. But there's a lot of subconscious shit that happens. You just start realizing what kind of works, right. and it's not just works with the audience, but works with the band. And we're, you know what I mean. And these changes just start to happen, yeah, because you're out there figuring it out. And like, I really think that if people in service to jazz play out there, and you know, or or just live music, I don't, I don't even care if it's rock or jazz or singer song or whatever you want to call it pop soul um you go out there and you you do this service you make this stuff happen and you, you'll find that your music will evolve just like the audience will and and i and i suggest to you that many of the most popular styles of music still from that golden age like from the 40s to the 80s is because of that mm. It all evolved in that human hothouse. Yeah. And uh, there's no reason why it can't come back. Because people need, you know, look at how popular Facebook is. It's just people needing social interaction is what it is. Wow. It's a cool. It's, it's, we, we, granted, we can talk about whether it really is social interaction or any of that. But the reason people go on there is the same reason that people hung in nightclubs in the 40s and 50s. Yeah. It's the same thing. Mm -hmm.